Real Talk listeners, we have a new segment rocking. We're going to be going through some different topics. Michelle, we are talking about dun 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 quiet quitting. What the hell is this? Can someone please help me understand? And you know what? I think before we get there, we need to just let everybody know it's not Michelle on here. It's not Marie on here, but we have a special guest. John is joining us today on Real Talk to talk about this quiet quitting because I can't tell you like I know what it is, but I think Michelle and John have a little bit more expertise in this. So welcome, John. Good to see you. Nice to see you too, or hear you, I guess. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, for our listeners, that they, they can't see that we can see each other. <laughs> it's a podcasting secret. So we had a person reach out to us with a question and they're really asking us about quiet quitting. So let's talk about this. The definition is where we should get started. I feel like a fifth grader in uh, like reading a book report. (laughs) I know, but there's so many of us out there that need to know what quiet quitting is. I know. So quiet quitting, it's been in the news a lot lately. A lot of industries and HR departments are really talking about it because it's gaining traction and it can really affect your business. And it's the concept of doing the bare minimum that you need to do in order to not get fired. So AKA being an underperformer or lazy, not really. Well, that's a really interesting question. And that's part of the debate about this. Yeah, I think you're right, John. What we see with quiet quitting in most cases, it's similar. We didn't really have a name for it back when I was doing leadership training. We would just tell people, we would use the phrase that they quit, but they stay. And so quiet quitting is definitely a way to kind of summarize that better. They're going to do the bare minimum. What we find with quiet quitters is that in most cases, they used to be some of your best performers. Could be. Or at least really good performers. They were people, if you're going with a traditional performance appraisal where a three is your A, and just so you know, John, they've heard from us before. Marie and I, we hate the numbered performance appraisals because a three is not an A, it's an F and C. And a five is an A. It's an F and C. So yeah, it's not an F and a C, it's an F and C. It's an F and C. Not going to get too into the weeds, but behavioral bars, behavioral anchored rating scale. If you just pick a number and throw it in the middle, you can make a three a C if you want, but you can also make a three an A, like just by giving it a definition. That's beside the point. So our... It is, but people see it as a C, right? So typically what you're finding, what we're finding with quiet quitters is they're employees that you would have given threes, fours, probably not your fives, but at least that three fours, they were the people that you probably have counted on in the past to get stuff done while everyone else was slacking off. And the motivation for that is something I think any individual company needs to think about of if you have a top performer who all of a sudden realizes that, hey, the rest of my coworkers, they don't get in trouble. They don't have any issues. If they just do their job, they're getting the same rewards that I am. Why should I go above and beyond? Why should I work a hundred hours a week? Maybe that's a little much, but why should I even work 10 hours more per week when the rest of my coworkers aren't doing anything extra and they're not getting in trouble? So my generation coming off of the baby boomer generation, I'm not a boomer. 
But baby boomers were like all in. They were going to give you 150%. They were the folks that retired with the gold watch with that loyalty concept. And so my generation, having come off of that generation, we tend to fall into that trap a lot where we would give and give and give. And John, there's no question I have FedEx worked 100 hours a week for multiple weeks. And during that process, thought to myself, why do other people get to go home when I'm still working? And fell into that trap of thinking that there's no equality here. You've got these folks struggling, these folks kind of Another phrase we're going to use in a little bit called act your wage. You've got these folks over here acting their wage and you've got us over here overperforming. But I think my generation is used to the concept or the belief that you're supposed to act like the job or perform like the job you want versus the job you're in. And I think that's the mentality that pushed my generation to become burnt out. It's one of the reasons that I advocate for the mentality of millennials and younger is because I wish that I had the ability to work that way when I was struggling in the workforce. One of the interesting things that you brought up is the concept of a, you know, the baby boomers. They stayed for a long time and things like that. But in some ways I think that's an apples to oranges comparison. You could get a middle-class job in 1950, work there for 35 years and live a good life on a single middle-class salary and retire with a solid pension that would keep you going through retirement and do just fine. That's not the case anymore. I think younger people have realized that, and especially through the pandemic and even like inflation right now, when companies are boasting about record profits while saying they don't have money for raises, like you can't do both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I mean, companies want to. And many people are realizing that the company, not all companies, I mean, there's great ones out there, but many big companies will sell you down the river. They will cut you quick if their corporate profits are even remotely threatened. And if the company's not going to have any loyalty to me, why should I work? Because it's essentially working for free. They're not saying I'm not going to do my job. You tell me to do A, B, and C. I'll do A, B, and C, but I'm not going to do A, B, C, one, two, three, X, Y, Z for free. Here's what people are thinking. And you know what? I love to ask the questions, and this is why I literally co-facilitate these podcasts, but every person is always thinking the questions I'm always asking. So this is why I ask, because I know our listeners are wondering, not that I don't know, but a leader is sitting on this call right now and being like, all right, so you're saying quiet quitting is essentially a formerly subject matter expert or go-to person and or a previously engaged employee who now seems to be disengaged. How is that not identified? How are leaders not figuring that out? How are people staying in their positions long enough to quiet quit for a lengthy period of time? First of all, I would say it doesn't have to be a top performer who drops down. You might hire someone who, oh, the job is fill out this report and go to these emails? Sure, I'll do that. And not much else. Are you saying that a quiet quitter or, you know, Michelle, you said acting your wage. 
quiet quitting puts the blame on the employee. Whereas acting the wage, it's the same concept, but it's like, is it the fault of the company for not engaging the employee or should the employee be getting in trouble for doing exactly what their job description says they're supposed to do? John, you nailed it with that last statement. And then even going back to what you said before Maria asked the question about leaders, where you said the idea of loyalty in a corporation from a corporate to an employee we hear more stories of lack of loyalty than we do of loyalty in that relationship. And I mean, specifically from employer to employee. And what's happening is people are seeing it. Children saw their parents get laid off after working places 10 years, whatever. We've seen it happen to our friends or we've lived it ourselves. And we are all starting to recognize exactly what you said, which is we are a number. And as long as we are needed to produce profits, we will get to stay. And I'm not going to say that there will be loyalty because that's not what it is. Loyalty would mean we would get to stay, period, right? That they would be loyal to our benefit where we were loyal to theirs. And that is not the case. So asking people to do more than the expectation, I think does fall on the employer. Your job as a leader is to make sure your team is engaged and motivated and in the right role. If you keep someone that should not be there anymore, it's your fault as a leader. If you don't engage people that are bored or checked out, it's your fault as a leader. So Maria, I know you hate when I do this, but all roads lead to the leader. So yes, it's the leader's fault that employees are behaving this way. So how do we prevent it? How do you become proactive in preventing quiet quitters? Here's another question, though, that I have around that. Is a quiet quitter a bad employee? I want to give an example here. If we take it outside of an employee-employer relationship, Let's say it's a contract between two companies. You know, okay, so I go to Real Talent and I say, hey, Real Talent, I want you to come to my business and I want you to run two focus groups and give me a report on that. We sign a contract, you guys show up, you run two focus groups and you give me a report. Is that quiet quitting? Because you did the bare minimum. If I have a contract with you for two focus groups and one report, Should you show up and say, well, you know what? We're going to go above and beyond. We're going to do five focus groups and give you five reports, one on each of them, and go that extra mile. Another example is a mechanic. You take your car in for an oil change. You have a contract with a mechanic, an oil change. Should you expect them to go above and beyond and give you a tire rotation for free? Is someone who does their job, and not a bad job, they're just only doing their job, what you have hired them to do, Are they a bad employee? Maria, what do you think? I think if we're defining a quiet quitter as someone who meets expectations, different. If we're defining a quiet quitter who is no longer giving over 100%, they're not just being overachievers anymore. I don't think it's considered quiet quitting. But that is what most people consider quiet quitting is companies expect, I hired you for 40 hours, but I really want you to work 50 so you can prove your loyalty to the company. 
Is that what the companies are calling quiet quitter or is that what the employees in the roles or in the situations calling themselves a quiet quitter? Employees. The employee is saying, I'm going to do exactly what my job description says I'm going to do. I'm going to do it well. I'm not going to slack off. I'm not going to do a bad job. I'm just not going to work the weekends for you for nothing. For a deadline that you should not have given because it was not achievable within the course of a normal work day. Like I am not going to skip dinner to finish a report that you knew couldn't be done during a work day. I'm not going to work through lunch. I am not going to come in and get excited when you demand overtime. And I'm not going to be like, woo, no extra money for me. And I shouldn't expect a promotion. It doesn't mean I'm a bad employee or whatever. I just shouldn't expect anything more than what is in my role and my responsibility. If they get overtime, if you're an exempt employee. John, you nailed it. It does not necessarily mean it is a bad employee. As a leader, you've got to ask yourself why the person is in this place. You did have someone who was giving, 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 working 50, 60 hours a week and now is just doing the bare minimum to keep from getting fired, you've got to first look at yourself and your expectations. And then you've got to be willing to hear out why their behavior changed. And you're not going to like it. I promise. People don't go from trying to make you and your department look like a rock star to giving the bare minimum overnight without having some element of frustration. So you're not going to like their answers. But as a leader, if you truly want to be proactive in this or reactive, I would say you need to find out what is happening. If you want to be proactive, here's how you can be proactive. Go look at those job descriptions and the expectations of the roles, because I promise you, you're asking for more than you're paying them. And if you set that up in the interview process and put that in your job description, okay, cool. Like, hey, the expectation of this job is 50 hours a week and I'm paying you a quarter million dollars a year. Okay, that's the job expectation. But I've heard you guys talk quite a few times on this podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion, DE&I, quite a bit. And I think that this concept does play into it. Men are stereotypically able to work more. It's certainly not true in all cases, but they can put in 50, 60 hours or potentially someone who's just single. It's not even getting into relationships. A single person can put in 60 hours a week because they don't have a family. On your team, Maria, if you have an employee who is doing a good job, I mean, they're not doing a bad job, but they're just doing their job. They're putting in the 40 hours, which is in their job description. Are they not eligible for a promotion? Are you going to prioritize the person who can work 60 hours a week for a promotion versus the person who's hitting 40 and doing their job? First of all, I don't think it's about hours. I actually take flights and in a three or four hour flight, I can get eight hours of work done very efficiently because I am less distracted from different pings and phone calls and meetings. So I feel like the hours don't necessarily meet that. But when I am conducting a performance review, there are key buzzwords I look for to identify promotions. One of them is consistent, consistently meeting expectations, consistently exceeding expectations, consistently under meeting expectations. So depending on if you're overachieving in the allotted amount of time that you are working, I think anyone can get anything done in the hours that they're allocated. 
even less. I don't really care how many hours or what hours in the day you work. As long as your job is being done. Now, when you seek out additional opportunities or you're a team player and you're helping other people and trying to be resourceful, it creates more efficiency amongst our team and creates an elevated perception of you taking a next step. Hours aside, because you're right. Efficiency in hours is a big thing. Can someone who's more efficient do something in 40 hours that someone less efficient might do in 60? However, however to my however, some people do see that as working harder. So thankfully, you look at that and see the efficiency, but many other people might look at that and say, oh, well, the person working 60 hours is really a go-getter, so I'm going to promote them where really they're just really inefficient at their job. But Let's say you have an employee and their job is to make 100 widgets a week. Every week on Monday, they start and on Friday, they finish with 100 widgets. They do it in 40 hours. That's exactly what you've contracted and asked them to do. But you have another employee who in the same 40 hours makes a, a 150. They're busting it. They are, you know, their fingers are bleeding. They're crushing it. Are both employees eligible for a promotion? They're both meeting your expectations. One is exceeding. And I'm guessing you're trying to get to the point of one person doing more than another. I think if they're both doing their job and they're both making 100 widgets, it's regardless of the situation, they're going to be evaluated based on, again, if you go to sales roles, right? Your goal is to have 10 clients. You meet 10 clients. Great. Good for you. You should be rewarded in a salary base based on you meeting the expectations of the company and what we expect to achieve. Now you go above that and create more profitability for us, or you are doing other things on the side or taking additional initiative into your 10 clients or your 100 widgets. Those are all other aspects that are considered for a promotion. It hits from multiple angles, but I see what you're trying to get. I just think that if we are trying to define quiet quitting and create that understanding for leaders and organizations, we need to have a understanding of what they should be observing. And then we should also have the expectations from employees that, hey, if you're just going to do, you're going to meet expectations, you're going to get a meets on your performance review and probably a meets on your compensation. And that's okay. I think that's fair. Exactly. And I think that what we're seeing from people in the workforce who are likely to leave jobs in less than, let's say, three years, is that they are okay with that too. They're okay with you paying them what their job is worth. They're not okay with being asked to do more than you're willing to pay. Now, as a leader, you also need to recognize that that person that is producing 100 widgets with the acceptable amount of redo or waste in the acceptable time frame that it's asked for. They have a normal attitude at work. They contribute when they can. That person is likely to be your person that jumps to another company because what they see is you hired me to do this. You're paying me to do this. And yet, you're punishing me because I'm not willing to do more. That is what it's going to feel like for that employee. You said do this. I am doing this flawlessly based on your expectations, which makes me a three. And yet no opportunities are being offered to me to try to move to that next level because I'm not doing 
more than a three. Even promotion aside, because we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole of that. Let's say they don't want to get promoted and that's fine. Let's bring it back around to the idea of is someone who is acting their wage and doing exactly what you tell them to do, are they a bad employee? Is this a, yeah, sure, you want people engaged and, you know, give a little extra, but is it bad? Are they someone that you should be targeting, coaching, training and saying, well, hey, listen, you know, I know I pay you for 40 hours a week or 100 widgets or whatever the metric is. I really need you to do more for free. Are they bad employees or are they just, hey, good, solid employee who gets the job done? I think it depends. I guess the question for all the listeners that we need to answer, are all the quiet quitters the same type of individual and the same character at an organization? You just made me think of an employee I used to have. I was a part-time college student who today might be labeled as a quiet quitter or acting their wage, but they were probably the best employee that I had. It was a part-time gig. This person was in college and they worked about 15, 20 hours a week. They never took extra shifts. They never took swap shifts to help out, but they also never were late. They didn't stay late either. They showed up on time. They left on time. They got their work done. There was no drama whatsoever. There was never an issue with this employee. It was my most reliable, steady employee. Never went above and beyond, but absolutely hit all of the metrics that I asked for. And thinking back on it now, like, yeah, that person might've been labeled as a quiet quitter. Well, you didn't take extra shifts here and there. Well, yeah, but they have a 100% attendance rate over the course of six months. That was a big, big for me. For sure not. I mean, if you look at quiet quitters as possibly someone who is either happy in the place that they are giving exactly what they're supposed to give or worst case scenario, someone disengaged, there are different levels of disengagement. You know, some people are going to become disengaged, not give extra, but still come to work with the same positive attitude. You might have disengaged people, however, that have reached the point of not being a quiet quitter and being actively problemsome. So the reality is, as a leader, sorry about your luck. You're going to have to assess everyone individually, just like you would with any employee and address it based on where that person is. We talked about this a little bit ago. There's a big difference. Maria mentioned everybody needs to be taken individually. There's a big difference between someone quiet quitting, acting their wage, who's making $32,000 a year at a full-time job versus someone who's making half a million, right? There's different expectations for those roles. And that's okay. And it's making sure you have clear communication for both of them. A part-time person is going to have different expectations versus someone making half a million driving a Maserati. A big thing, both for the leader as well as the employee. And guys, for those of you listening, it is absolutely an employee's market right now. Maybe hard for you to get calls from recruiters because they're a little overwhelmed. But I'm telling you, Right now, the world is on your side. But I think the key is it's time for applicants to take ownership of the direction of their job. And like John, in that situation that you've described, I've had some similar to that where the greatest employees were part-time. We knew they weren't in it for the long run because they were going to college 
for something completely different, but they showed up when they said they would. They planned their school schedule to make sure work and school worked around each other. They were great at their job while they were there, but at the end of the day, it ended. Don't call them and expect them to pick up the phone. They were going to give you exactly what they said. But in both cases, both Lisa and Jason, they were both very clear with what they were willing to give to the job. And we, as their leaders, had to be able to accept what we were getting from them. So I think as applicants, you've got to go in, like you said, if you agree to a job, you sign an offer, you know what the expectations are. That's what you've agreed to. But you also have to talk about what you will and will not do as a part of being employed there. And it's okay for you to have demands as an applicant. It's not just about the employee making demands to you. It's true. For all of you HR professionals, there is a book for you. There is a solution. It's called Quiet Quitting, The New Workplace Trend by Regina Poe. Check it out. Free on Kindle. It's like a $10 book if you want a hard copy to highlights like I do. Go check it out. It gives you tips, tricks, solutions, and more details than just our 30-minute podcast. Also, we're here to help, so reach out. Any other takeaway messages, John and Michelle? My one takeaway is not all quiet quitters or people who are acting their wage are bad employees. Love that example. They might actually be some of your most stable. The tortoise and the hare. Slow and steady wins the race. Exactly. Good words of wisdom. I love it. Well, thanks, John, for joining. Hope you all got some content out of this quiet quitting. Until next time, take care, Real Talk listeners. Bye. 